Hey, this is Lori from Hike. Today's on the trail brings you author William Sullivan. You may have heard of him if you're a fan of hiking in Oregon because he is the gold standard for guidebooks in Oregon. In fact, he's put out over 20 books and something very unique about his guidebooks are his maps. So we talk a little bit about the map process, about the beauty of hiking in Oregon, kind of going off the beaten path, some of the challenges, uh, knowing you know the season that you intend to hike, and just some of the unique things that he brings to Oregon hiking. You can find links in the show notes to contact him, to see where he's going to be next, and of course, to order the books. So let's take a listen to my conversation with William Sullivan. Okay, so I am here with William Sullivan, and uh, you go by Bill, right? Yeah, I'm Bill. All right. Well, nice to meet you. And I've been a fan of your hiking guides, the uh, the 100 Hikes series, for quite a while. So thanks for being on today. Yeah, well, uh, my 100 Hikes series really just covers Oregon and the surrounding areas, but really pretty much Oregon. I, I'm a fifth-generation Oregonian and kind of figure I can focus on one state and do it well in one lifetime. So you have been born and raised in Oregon. And so I was reading your bio and it mentioned that you started hiking at the age of five. Were you the kid who wandered off into the woods? Well, no, this is actually pretty normal in Oregon that uh, everybody um, just goes camping and hiking and it's pretty routine. And I was the youngest in the family. So off I went and drag along. And I really never thought of myself as the hiker guy. Um, I was the writer guy. You know, I, my father was the editor of the, of the newspaper in the capital city in Salem. And, and my, um, I studied creative writing at Cornell in New York. Um, but it turns out it's hard to make a job as a, as a novelist, <laughs> especially in Oregon. Um, so one year I hiked a thousand miles across Oregon figuring I'd write a guidebook about the new wilderness areas, but also get a story about the adventure of walking from one corner of Oregon to the other. And it's possible to hike over a thousand miles if you follow the mountain ranges from the Pacific Ocean all the way to Hell's Canyon on the Idaho border, which I did. And the, that story then became Listening for Coyote, which was oh, a finalist for the Oregon Book Award, but the New York Times uh, put it at the top of their travel books for the year. Uh, it uh, just was sort of a national thing. Uh, and it it launched my career as the hiker guy, After at which point I started writing hiking guides. And lo and behold, my background in writing actually helped make those books as successful as they are. I know. I wanted to ask you about that because, uh, you know, you studied creative writing. But it seems like your books also kind of have that creative uh, bent to them. And I just wondered how you kind of interwoven in some of that creativity into your guidebooks. Well, you know, you can't be too creative. If yeah. you start going into fiction, people get lost. Yes. Uh, it's important to be really precise. But each of the descriptions of a hike is a little story. It has to be, you're trying to... Uh, persuade people that this is a cool place to go. You want to be really honest about what's there, but uh, but there it, there's a, an element of storytelling in this, and that's I think can be missing in like oh 
Forest Service descriptions of a trail, just, you know, X miles, um, uh, X elevation gain. Um, but, but why do you want to go? What's there? And it turns out maybe there is some historic wagon route, uh, and you can see evidence of uh, rope burns from covered wagons on the Oregon Trail there. Or there's a Indian vision quest site on top of the mountain that's still sacred and you shouldn't go there. Or uh, something else mm-hmm. that uh, makes that hike suddenly worth a journey. And so what kind of prep did you do to kind of get these guidebooks started? I mean, obviously you did the solo backpacking track um, that launched it, but then when you start looking at the specific areas of um, of Oregon and breaking those down, I mean, did you, you know, go out and hike all of these trails? I did. I hiked every trail I could find in Oregon, and that took 10 years because there are a thousand trails in Oregon. So I have, I divided the state up into five regions, uh, the coast, eastern Oregon, Portland area, Crater Lake, southern Oregon area, central, and then uh, spent two years hiking every trail in that area, uh, keeping notes and pictures. And then I drew the maps for each of those trails, and the maps are kind of uh, critical. Uh, Yeah. can't just pull stuff off the internet or Google or something and, and have it be uh, really readable. And then, uh, so I did uh, the, every, every hike in the state, and, and I go back and re-hike them on a seven-year schedule. So, so uh, I got to ask you about the maps, because yeah. the maps, I just, that's one of my favorite parts of, of the <laughs> book. I don't know if people tell you that all the time, but... But it is. It, I just I like the hand drawn aspect, and I like the um, you know putting in the points of interest and kind of referring to you know the different pieces of it. So it's really unique. So you know why did you decide to go that way? Well, because if you just take a, a topo map mm-hmm. and cut out that little piece that deals with the trail and print it in a book, you can't tell which way is up and down. You just have a mess of little lines. You really need to have, like, that whole map. And even then, not everybody can read which way is up and down when they're looking at a bunch of little lines. So I, uh, I trace the trail off of a topo, so it is correct. Uh, and I've gone out and mapped it myself and make sure that, it's in the right, that I've got the trail in the right place. Um, but then I distort the horizon to give it this bird's-eye view. So then it looks like you're looking at the trail from sort of, I don't know, like a helicopter above the trailhead. Uh, and the other thing that, that's critical is I turn the map so that the highest point of the hike is at the top. And that way it really looks like you're going uphill. Interesting. The drawback to that is north is not always at the top of the map. But when you're standing at the trailhead looking at this mountain you're going to hike up, um, you don't really care which way is north, you care which way is up. You look at it, start standing at the trailhead and thinking, okay, I'm going up. And that's the way the, the hand-drawn maps are. What I then do is draw in cliffs and waterfalls as little pictures. So that, that increases this feeling that you're looking at um, a bird's eye view of it. And of course, the most important thing with map making is to leave out the things that aren't important. Uh, it, which you, 
you really just want to include the important things, and that makes it clear. So those maps are the only thing I don't put on the Internet for free. <laughs> I'm afraid I, I ask that people buy the book or download it from Kindle. Uh, you can get it, you know, on your phone. Yeah. But, uh, but you do put all I, your guide, your hiking uh, I put everything else, photos okay. and the descriptions and all that stuff on the Internet for free. But without the maps, um, you miss a lot. And I guess that's pretty much the way the Internet works, is you offer a lot for free. Uh, my website has a lot of information for free. But then if you, if you want the full picture, you, you have to pay a bit. And you talked about uh, updating um, or a seven-year schedule of rehiking yeah. things. And, I mean, with all of you know, some of the things that occur, like uh, the fires in the gorge in 2017, for example, um, yeah. How do you go about keeping some of that updated when it just, you know, things happen, natural disasters and so on? Well, two things. Uh, first, I post updates for free on my website at OregonHiking.com under trail updates as soon as I get them. In fact, I give away a free book to the first person who sends in an update. Uh, throughout summer, I'm giving away a book a week really? to people who, yes, people who have found some error or change, a bridge that's gone, a sign that's missing, a new move trailhead. Um, and I post that immediately on the website so that it, no one else will get lost. And then uh, I reprint the books every year. Uh, as I said, I hike them, re-hike them on a seven-year schedule, but I'm, I reprint them every year, and I'm going out and checking the ones that I have heard have problems. So when somebody... Uh, gets lost, has a problem, and they used to be they'd just get mad. They'd send me an angry email. I'm never going to use your books again because I went there and they'd move the trailhead. And we got, you know, spent two hours driving around on gravel logging roads. Well, then I started sending them an autographed copy of one of my other books. I've, you know, I've written 22. And then I get this excited email back. Wow, nobody has ever sent me an autographed book before. Now I'm going to go out and look for more updates. And I wind up with this whole unpaid army of spies out there <laughs> helping me that I've converted from being angry people to now being my biggest fans. Uh, so that helps. And then uh, I only print enough of the books for one year. Because um, you kind of know that they're going to go out of date. Uh, well, and I put a banner yeah. at the top that says new for the mm -hmm. 2020 uh, at the top of, of the the two books that uh, are most heavily used, the Portland area book and the Bend uh, Salem Eugene book. Those ones I do every year. The other ones I guess every two years. But the printing only enough copies for one year has a drawback in that uh, in winter um, I run out sometimes and it gets hard to find a copy and people, the prices start zooming on Amazon for old copies. Uh, uh, the other drawback is sometimes I have a f 500 extra copies at the end of the year, and those I recycle rather than sell an old copy. Ah, that's a good I thing to do. I recycle them and print new ones. So every April Fool's Day, <laughs> and it's always been April Fool's Day, the books are printed fresh for, the, for that hiking season. Um, and in the hiking season in Oregon... You can hike on the coast anytime, right? But 
most of the rest of the state, um, it doesn't really begin until summer. And people from uh, back east will sometimes send me an email saying, we're so excited, we're going to come to uh, hike uh, the, uh, to the, in the Three Sisters Wilderness that was featured as a top hike on Backpacker Magazine, and we're going there in March. What, what, what should we bring? And I tell them, snowshoes. There's six <laughs> feet of snow there, and it's not going to melt until mid-July. And they said, well, we'll switch to Crater Lake. How's that? I say, it gets 60 feet of snow in a winter, 60 feet. It buries entire forests. The buildings have to, uh, or only the third story is clear. The, they, they don't plow that road until the 4th of July around there. So you can come in winter, but bring skis. Uh, I think people sometimes don't understand uh, how much snow we get in the mountains and how long it takes to melt. So speaking of that, if you think of by season, I guess, uh, what kind of uh, trail would you recommend? Like, say, now we're in winter time, where would you point people? Well, we have some I, flexibility. It, no, what I just did this uh, this last week was uh, the Oregon Coast Trail, and this is uh, probably the least well known long distance trail, um, and yet um, amazingly spectacular. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things about Oregon's coast is all of the beaches are public. Back in 1915 an Oregon governor, declared all of the sand, all the beaches in Oregon, uh, state highways. And it was a trick that made them all public land, and then it was transferred to the Parks Department, so there are no private beaches in Oregon. Uh, the only other state like that is Hawaii. Uh, <clears throat> well, so the Oregon Coast Trail follows 200 miles of walking on the sand, but there's 160 other miles, and 100 of that is now finished trail, uh, that goes through forests and over headlands and uh, just uh, the in in Oregon the mountains and the forests go right down the beach so you're you have these headlands with waves crashing and then hidden coves with the sand and no footprints because the uh, Oregon the water is cold too cold to swim I mean so you can surf with a wetsuit but it's pretty much not a swimming area. Uh, and that makes it really quiet and uh, really beautiful. Okay, but that leaves 60 miles of this 360-mile trail that are not on a trail or on the beach. They're walking on the shoulder of Highway 101, and you have log trucks and motorhomes going by. That is not fun. So last year, the Oregon State Legislature passed a bill to finish the Oregon Coast Trail, and the way they're doing it is to put the trail off the highway into the highway right-of-way. The highway right-of-way is often really wide, and so there's like 50 or even 100 feet on the ocean side of the highway. And they put the trail through the woods over there, so you're walking really closer to the ocean, uh, and you don't have the, the traffic right in your face. In fact, the sound of the ocean is often, you know, is usually louder than the traffic. So... They're finishing the Oregon Coast Trail. Um, it, it will be uh, uh, different from the Pacific Crest Trail, where you have to bring, oh, you know, backpacking tent and food and all of that, because on the Oregon Coast, you go from village to village. 
there there are a few stretches of maybe a dozen miles where you'll be out in the woods uh, on beaches where nobody's around. But other than that, you could stay at a motel every night and uh, or a yurt at a state park. So a different and, type of a whole different yeah, type of hiking experience. And stop for chowder or fish and chips, you know. Uh, so. Is there a specific uh, section you'd recommend for someone who maybe has, uh, you know, a weekend or or a week? Well, the the first 60 miles from the Columbia River on the Washington border down uh, south to Tillamook, they're done. So you could do that 60-mile section. But personally, the prettiest sections, I think, are on the southern Oregon coast um, because they're not within... uh, uh, driving distance of either Portland or San Francisco, um, not for unless you're going like for a long weekend or something. They're, and there are only small towns, very small towns on the southern Oregon coast. Um, so you get a little more so, solitude, you think? In, you do. In, yeah. And, so that was going to ask you that because uh, Portland area and just, you know, Oregon is getting so many visitors and, and people moving there. Um, how do you feel that's impacted the trails? Well, especially around Bend and Portland, you're right. Uh, and they've dealt with this in different ways. Uh, around Portland, the trails are just simply uh, often crowded, and the parking lots are full, so they have shuttle buses that will shuttle you from Portland out to these trails. Typically, you don't need a permit. They're not limited that way. They're just limited by being so crowded. Uh, and this would be um, a dozen of the most popular trails, like Multnomah Falls, the tallest waterfall in Oregon, uh, right there in the Columbia Gorge. That one, uh, the freeway, they closed the freeway exit. Uh, it says uh, exit closed, lot full. <laughs> you can't even get off the freeway there uh, when it's crowded. And the other area is around Bend. And Bend was a uh, until recently, a small abandoned mill town of, you know, maybe 20,000 people and mostly empty storefronts. And then came, they put Mount Bachelor ski area nearby, and it started becoming like the Aspen of Oregon or, uh, or the, the Cermat or Davos or something. And uh, the population has shot up to like, I don't know, 80,000 or something. And uh, a lot of the people are coming to Bend, which is kind of right in the middle of Oregon, but it's very close to the high Cascades. Uh, so they've got great hiking, good clear skies, um, but cold in the winters, so skiing. Anyway, so many people are there that the trailheads have been jammed. And there, the answer, the Forest Service has started a, a limited permit program. So for 19 of the most popular trailheads, you have to get an advance permit, buy one, uh, and they only issue, oh, 20 to 80 a day, for depending on the trail. And all of the backpacking near Bend, uh, in the Three Sisters, Mount Jefferson, Mount Washington wilderness areas, uh, you have to get an advance permit, and they're limited. The, the good thing about that is they only issue as many permits for day hiking as there are parking spots at the trailhead. So you're guaranteed 
a parking spot if you get the permit. And they only issue as many overnight uh, permits as there are actual campsites. And in the past, they'd have rangers at these popular backpacking areas and uh, sending people home, saying uh, all of the designated campsites are full. Um, you have to go. You have to leave. And now you're guaranteed a campsite. If you get the permit, there will be a spot for you. And that is, um, I, I think it's actually a good solution. Yeah, so so we know that there's going to be, it's going to be a little more challenging for people who are trying to plan, you know, to be able to, to get the permit and things like that. So what about, though, just for, you know, are there any recommendations for maybe trails that are a little more off the beaten path um, that still gives you a good um, hiking experience and maybe less crowds, like we talked about, you know, the southern part of the Oregon Coast Trail? Well, um, yeah, my, my books cover a thousand trails, <laughs> and there are, there are 19 that have these permit problems, and are damned. those 19 are the ones that are feature, featured in Backpacker Magazine yes. on the cover, or uh, social media as the top trail to do, and, uh, but they are not the best. There are hundreds of others that are just as nice and better because they're not as crowded. You, you, I hike in summer um, day after day after day without meeting another person because uh, my job is, you know, to go out and research these trails, and I don't need to go to those top 19 ones every year. Um, I, I go to other ones, and uh, it's a lonely job. <laughs> you don't see people. Especially if you were going to uh, Eastern Oregon, this is more than 50% of the state uh, is what we call high desert and with mountain ranges, and uh, but it's drier. And that there is a place to really uh, find solitude, um, like the Owyhee country. Um, this is on the border of Idaho and Nevada. It is the most remote spot in the lower 48 states outside of Alaska. Um, if, you, uh, if you have a radio out there and you press scan, it'll go around and around and around the dial. There are no radio stations within range there. You, there mostly aren't trails. You follow a, a canyon or a ridge or, or a desert river. Um, if uh, the access roads are dirt often, and if it rains, which is uncommon, but if it does, they will turn to mud, and your car will sink in the mud, and you will stay there for three days until it dries out. So it's a type of hike where you need to be prepared. You need to definitely yeah. be aware of your abilities, have uh, your, extra your, things yeah. with you, things like that. Your, your cell phone will not work. No one will hear you scream. No one will come by. You, you have to be prepared to wait out three days until it dries out, and then you could drive again and get to the trailhead. So it is uh, you know, a little more challenging in some ways. Even in what's an easy hike, I can hardly rate it as easy if it has that element of remoteness. And that leads to the the next question I was going to ask is, you know, you had mentioned about in, you know, those areas, you're not going to have cell service, you're going to be, you know, relying on, you know, maybe even a printed copy of uh, uh, the page of the book or the book itself would be good. 
um, in this digital age where everyone seems to download, you know, the, the latest and greatest apps, tell, tell me and the listeners why, you know, the, the books are still relevant and important and what's, what sets that apart? Well, um, I don't actually agree with that. Uh, all, all of my books I have as uh, downloadable uh, e-books, and they work great that way. In fact, they have more features than the print version. The only drawback with having it on your phone is that the batteries on your phone could die, uh, and then you don't have a map, uh, or you could drop your phone in a creek, uh, and it doesn't work. If you have the physical book or have, like, photocopied that page, then you drop it in the creek, you can still read it. Uh, and the batteries do not die on books. So, eh, so I'm maybe kind of, have a backup. If you, if yeah, you I have think the, if you're going to yeah. a, re- a remote spot, you should have a physical map with you. A lot of other places you can get by with having it on your phone. And, and then, like, one of the features that I have on the on the uh, ebook version is uh, a wildflower search and app. And this is developed by my brother, who is a retired primary engineer at Tektronix. And in retirement, he collated data from all of the great herbariums of the North America and created a wildflower search uh, program that will show you the flowers that are blooming on any trail in North America for any week of the year in five seconds. Okay, I'm going to need to now pick up the digital version because... This is wildflowersearch.com, and because he's my brother, he designed them to work with my books. So my books have uh, these links, so that if you're, I don't know, at uh, Mount Hood in August, and you see a fuzzy flower, um, you can... uh, uh, there's a, a link right there on your phone to the to, to the search, and it'll show the, all the fuzzy white flowers if you want, or just red flowers. Or uh, and if you want to know what would be blooming uh, two months later, or a thousand feet lower in elevation, that takes seconds as well. Uh, the, and you don't have to have internet connection to use this wildflower search engine. Uh, because my brother developed free downloadable apps for every state in the United States and every province in Canada. He's right now working on Hawaii. But um, so you go to uh, my website. Would okay, be a good place OregonHiking.com. OregonHiking.com and click on Wildflower Search. And it'll, it'll take you there and you can download for free then uh, this app that'll show you what's blooming on any trail in North America for any week of the year in five seconds. Yeah, that's excellent because I know from the hikes I've done um, in Oregon, there's so many wildflowers and not knowing, you know, what their names are, but just, you know, visually just seeing all these different flowers, this would be such a a, a nice compliment to my hiking. Yeah, yeah I, uh, not everybody who hikes loves wildflowers, but a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's, yeah, some I... I try to have the books aimed for um, for all different kinds of hikers. Some people really are into waterfalls or big trees or places to go with their dog or mountain biking or riding a horse. And so I have um, all of that featured in the, the books as, so that you can 
uh, quickly find the best spots for what you're looking for. Yeah, I do like that you have a nice uh, sort of an index where, you know, you're talking about whether, you know, these hikes are dog friendly, um, mm-hmm. the easy, moderate, difficult, and so on. And, and, you know, for families or whether they're, you know, open all year, which, like you said, is important, like, you know, places are snowed in and uh, and whether you can go backpacking and things like that. So I think it's a great little um, place to start and try to, you know, determine which hike is for me, especially considering, you know, conditions, you know, time of year and uh, and the region. Yeah. Well, I, I get people who say, oh, you should do a book that's just about hikes with edible plants or uh, hikes with butterflies or something. And I'm thinking, well, I think that's a pretty small market, um, but it's a good idea. Let me include it in the book. So I try to make the, the book uh, work for everybody. So what are you working on now or what's coming up next for you? Well, right now, I'm updating the Portland area book, 100 Hikes in Northwest Oregon and Southwest Washington. Uh, I've already got the Kindle version up, so there's a dozen new trails that do not require permits and are not crowded, Um, and even hikers, veteran hikers in the Portland, Vancouver area probably won't know about these, but I've been looking around and finding them. And those are all featured in the, the new fifth edition of the, uh, the 100 Hikes book for Northwest Oregon. Uh, the print version will be out in March or April, and I'll be giving slideshows all over the state oh, uh, about new hikes in Northwest Oregon. Um, if you happen to be in Oregon, uh, you can click on my the calendar of my uh, of OregonHiking.com, and there you'll find all the places I'm giving free slideshows, uh, all the hiking clubs, and libraries, and just all over the state. Well, I will definitely put links in my show notes so they can go to your website and also connect and and find ways to pick up uh, the books and find you you know out there giving giving talks. I know I'm looking at the fourth edition right now of the Northwest Oregon and Southwest oh, Washington. So last so. year. I know. <laughs> so. Well, but actually, it, don't panic because, okay. as I say, I do put the updates for the last five years on the website for free. I guess the only thing I don't have there oh, always no. is, a, is a brand new trail. Sometimes I don't put them on the website. Okay. So yeah. as we're uh, looking to close out, I guess maybe this is probably a hard question. We'll see if you uh, have an answer for it. Um, what Do you have a favorite trail at all? Can, can you name a favorite? <laughs> you know, that's why I've written two books. One is called Oregon Favorites, and the other is called Oregon Trips and Trails. And Oregon Favorites is, are my favorites by month, okay. by season, because it really matters uh, what season you go. The wild flowers are best in summer, Waterfalls are better in spring when there's more water. Uh, some uh, and fall is good for the desert. Winter is better at the coast. Uh, so I have favorites for every month of the year in that book. It's not really fair to compare January with August. Uh, you have different places you want to go. And the other one is Oregon Trips and Trails, and that's my favorites by area. Okay. And divide the whole state up into different regions, and I just have the bucket list, most beautiful 
uh, hikes. And the other criteria was not just that they be easy or something, but that they just be beautiful. And well, there is a lot of beautiful country uh, where yeah. you're at, so I'm, I'm sure there's a. It was tough to narrow it well, down. Well, yeah. So both those books have to be in color, you know, because they're 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 just too pretty to do in black and white. <laughs> and actually, the Oregon Trips and Trails has too many photos and maps, color maps, to fit into a an ebook. So oh, that okay. one, I, it's the only problem. no, it it overloads the maximum file size for a book with so many color photos and maps. So that one you can only get in print. Um, and we can well, find uh, links on your website, right? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk to me and, and share information with my listeners. I'm really excited to uh, to be able to bring this to everyone. Yeah, well, happy trails. Thanks again for listening today. This is actually the second to last episode of On the Trail for season two of Hike. And I just have one more uh, Thursday episode that I'm putting out. I really would appreciate any feedback you have about what you thought about season two. Leave me a review on iTunes and a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the show. For more information about season three and what's next for Hike, make sure you follow me on social media at the hike podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can always email me hikepodcast at gmail.com to leave me feedback and ask me any questions you might have about the show. So until next time, see you on the trail. <laughs>